This morning we're going to be reading two passages from Luke chapter 3 and John chapter 2. As we look at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, explaining a bit more of why these passages in a few moments, but begin by saying as you turn there, Luke chapter 3 is found on page 859, your Bibles, and then John 2 on page 887, page 859 and 887. Say this, that we, we know that God's in control of our lives. He's in control of, of all things, of the world. It's a great encouragement to us that he is, but it's also encouraging to know that he's uh, not just in, in control of that world, but of our intimate details. He knows everything that's going on in our minds, in our hearts. Uh, he's aware of our daily need, and he is constantly reassuring and strengthening us at every turn. I want us to think about that this morning as we think about whether God is with us and where we see that. God's working and speaking every day, and we must be looking for him and listening for him as he is near to each one of us. He does this in various ways. It happened to me again this week. I was preparing this sermon. I was trying to think, well, do I use the word epiphany in the title? Will that mean anything? Well, I probably should ask my wife. She's usually pretty good about those things. She'll tell me, yeah, that makes sense or that doesn't make sense. But I guess I just didn't think about it long enough because it's not in the title, as you notice. But we're talking about epiphany this morning, appearing, revelation, because uh, 12 days after Christ's birth is epiphany on your calendar. Maybe not your Google calendar, but on the desk calendar that I have, maybe some wall calendars, that, that name is still given to January 6th, epiphany. And we don't think much about that. But epiphany uh, is something that the church has uh, celebrated for uh, centuries about the appearing of Christ or the revealing of Christ and that as Savior of the Gentiles. It refers to the the wise men coming to see Jesus and of understanding who he is and what they say, if you remember to Herod, is we've come to see the one born, the King of the Jews. We've come to worship him. They understood who Jesus was. Well, I, I thought about this title. I thought, well, am I going to use that word in the title? I thought, no, epiphany, people don't use that term anymore. And then just a few days later, I was with one of you, and you said, I had an epiphany this holiday season. And I, I kind of smiled to myself. I don't remember what the epiphany was because I was thinking, ah, there's the Lord speaking and indicating that he is aware of what's going on in my little mind And I use that to illustrate that he does the same in our minds, all of them, if we're listening. We maybe have some doubts, we have some concerns, and then, lo and behold, right there where that word or that thought or that situation comes to mind, we think, oh, what am I going to do? God speaks into that because God is with us. He's with us. Matthew records the coming of the wise men because if you remember me saying some weeks ago, his intention in his gospel is to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophesied son of David who would sit on his throne forever. He said, this is the one, behold, this is the the king who's born to you today in the town of David. 
Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He is the one who says that to, to the shepherds, or he records that as the word to the shepherds, but he is also showing to the Jews that he is worthy of worship. But in this, he's also showing that Gentiles are to worship. That's why he pulls in the wise men who we saw on Christmas Day. We don't know that much about, but we know this, that they worshiped. They recognized the baby, and they recognized God's gift, and they worshiped. God revealing salvation to the Gentiles, hence that word epiphany, God coming to us, and not just to Jew, but to Gentile. The word epiphany comes from the Greek epiphania, which means revelation or appearance. We refer to it in this way sometimes. I've had an aha moment. I, oh, I, I see it now. I understand what's, what's going on there. I, I didn't see it before, but now I understand. For years, Epiphany held a greater place in, life, in the life of the church than did Christmas because the, the way the church reasoned is more important, not that it was unimportant, but more important than the birth of the baby, Jesus, was to understand who is he. Who is he? He's not just another baby. He is the Son of God in the flesh. An Epiphany. Today, the celebration is, of Epiphany is mostly celebrated with the wise men, because it's closely celebrated to Christmas. But historically, it's also celebrated. It was celebrated and it is celebrated with the revelation of Jesus at his first miracle in John 2 and the revelation of who Jesus is at his baptism in Luke chapter 3, which is why I've chosen those passages this morning as an epiphany to us, as a revelation to us. Who is this one? I'm not going to read the wise men's visit to Bethlehem. We read that recently, but I direct your attention to the reading of God's Word from Luke chapter 3 first this morning, and then we'll turn over to Luke or John chapter 2. Give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Then turning over to John chapter 2. The record of Jesus' first miracle. John 2 verses 1 through 11. On the third day, that is three days after Jesus had called his disciples, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So far, the reading of God's own holy word. Well, dear congregation, I'm, I'm 
This is a bit different than what I normally do. I'm not going to be expositing these two passages. I use them only to to show us how the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed. He's revealed at his birth, as we've already heard uh, in the coming of the wise men, that he's a savior for the Gentiles. He's also revealed at his baptism, where the father testifies that he is the beloved son, and also at the first miracle that is recorded for us. And we'll talk about the significance of that later. But it's surprising that the Bible is so silent on, I want to come back now to to the beginning, it's so surprising that the Bible is so silent on Jesus' early days. We don't hear much. Considering what was said about Jesus, we would expect much more attention to detail in his early life, after what the angel Gabriel said to Mary about her child, after what the angel said to the shepherds about Jesus, after what the wise men said about Jesus, we would expect to hear more about him. His birth is announced in the heavens to all who would listen on earth, yet we are left with very few details after his birth until the beginning of his public ministry at age 30 seems that very few pondered the significance of this child, perhaps with the exception of the shepherds, the wise men, and Mary. There were others who looked into it or or wanted to hear about it. Remember, Herod asked the question, where is this one born? Tell me, go look for him and bring him back. The the, the Jewish uh, teachers were saying the same thing, go and look for him, but they didn't go looking. They were simply saying, go look and come back and tell us. So there were some, but there were those who heard of Jesus but were not moved to go look and to seek and to see the significance of who Jesus was. Well, com- contrast that today with the, the children of the royal couple in, in England. I think Prince William and, and Princess Catherine, uh, their kids are under scru- such scrutiny. Every, every move is documented, what school they go to, what, what uh, things they partake in, participate in. We would expect with all of this this buildup to Christ's coming that, that indeed Jesus would have similar interest or information given, interest in his life and information written about him, but we don't see that. Jesus seems to, to be forgotten. He seems to disappear. God's great announcement of his coming seems to be followed by disappointment. But I want us to understand something. God was working. He was working, however silent, however imperceptible it may have been, he was working in the Lord Jesus Christ. Son of God was silently serving those around him. Yes, young people, he was serving his parents. He was serving those around him by being an example, by, by following the Father at a young age. Didn't wait and say, well, later when, I, when I'm, you know, uh, more mature. He was from the very beginning concerned that he would be serving the Lord. Perfect son, perfect sibling, a model of the perfect child of God. God with us, doing precisely what needed to be done, to be living that perfect life that he might be a perfect Savior. Does it seem like God is silent today? That's why I bring this up, this, this era of Jesus' life. It seems to be there's not much said. Does it seem that God is silent today? That he's not working? That he's not with us? We forget that he is working now. Like the early years of Jesus' life, it seems that God is not at work, but he is. He's, he's with you. 
Consider his call to your life. He says, search the scriptures that you might know of me. Look into my word and what it says, how you are to live, how you are to witness, how you are to be an example in this world. He is not silent. He is speaking. He calls us to ponder the mystery of God in the flesh, the mystery of suffering before glory, the slow process of sanctification. It's just not all at once, is it? It's very slow. It's through testing. It's through trial. It's through developing, developing perseverance that God says, I am showing you that I'm with you as you more and more draw closer to me and less and less indulge your sin nature. That's God at work, as we're going to see later. We're to look and to listen for him. We're to remember that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, seated at God's right hand, ruling and reigning, building his church, sanctifying a people for himself, that he might present them without spot, without blemish before his Father in heaven. That's his will for you. That's God's will for you. Not just when we flip the calendar and say, oh, New Year's resolution, got to be better. All the time, regardless of what year it is, what time of year it is, God's will for you is that you might be sanctified more and more, drawing closer and closer to him and deeper and deeper dependence. Look for him around you. Look for him in you. God is working now as he was in those early days of Jesus' life. We, can, we could spend a, a, a large chunk of our morning together looking at the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is making the point of, that Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness. He is the one, the perfect sacrifice. He is the one who is tempted in every way that you're tempted and yet was without sin, that we might know that we have a faithful high priest, one who can identify with us and yet one who can go before the Lord and ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his presence interceding for us. God was working this. He was, he was developing this, showing how his justice and righteousness would be satisfied giving his righteousness to us in Christ for those who believe in him. What we learn from God's word is that Christ is the center of history. We mark our calendars B.C. and A.D. before Christ and Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. God is working. He's showing us that all of history leading up to Christ, all of history that follows, looks back to Christ because he is the center of history, the center of God's plan to bring sinners into the new creation through faith in him. That quiet work, almost imperceptible, but growing. God with us. Well, after his early years of preparation, learning obedience and dependence on the Father to show that he was a perfect Savior, we have epiphany again of who Jesus is. His divine origin is affirmed. God the Father at his baptism declares, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The one who perfectly obeyed, the beloved This is affirmed throughout his life. It's seen at the transfiguration again. He says, as the voice of the Father speaks, he says, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. 
He's the fulfillment of all the scriptures. Elijah and Moses are there on the Mount of Transfiguration with the three, three apostles and, and Jesus, and, and that is representing the, the entirety of scripture, saying this, all of scripture points to him, listen to him, look to him. God with us. Well, after his baptism, after he calls his disciples, Jesus performs his first miracle, which he does at Cana in Galilee. The location is significant. The gospel writers pick it up. It's important for us to see that God's salvation is for Jew and Gentile, for all people, and another, another epiphany, another revealing to us. Jesus is telling us something. He's saying, this is significant for you. Pay attention. See my work. Well, just a few observations from John 2 this morning. First, Jesus attends a, a wedding, God's witness to a marriage once again. Where did he first witness marriage? Well, Bible trivia. Where was the first wedding? Well, it was in the garden, right? He brings the woman to the man, Genesis 2, verse 22. Here again, Jesus, God the Son, an epiphany. Marriage is God's plan for the good of society. Marriage between a man and a woman. When you look around for God, you can see him. You should see him present at weddings where he, his blessings are invoked, where his presence is called for, where a man and a woman are joined together and by his blessing fulfill his command to fill the earth and to live according to his word, to bear witness to that word and word and deed. There God is present, God with us. Another epiphany, another revelation, God meets our needs. Jesus' mother comes to him and declares that the host has run out of wine. And in my Looking into the commentaries, there were many who comment, uh, commented that this could have been had serious repercussions for the host. He could have even brought uh, they could have even brought a lawsuit against him because he that was his responsibility. And if he was to fail in that responsibility, there was uh, means by which to to get payment or to settle accounts. So this is more than Jesus wanting the wedding to be more merry. This is Jesus. Providing for a need for the one who was in need. Do we stop and see all the ways that God meets our needs? Are we looking around or are we waiting for uh, simply just kind of blundering our way through life, expecting someday that Jesus is going to come? Or do we see God working? Do we look for him working, providing for need? Epiphany, revelation. We don't want to miss his work around us or in us. We can hear it as we talk to others who say, God provided for me. God gave me a job. God provided the income that I needed. And and we can just easily dismiss that. But we ought not to dismiss that. We ought to listen carefully and say, yep, God is still providing. God still cares. God is with us. In this miracle, John tells us, Jesus revealed his glory, verse 11. Another epiphany, another revealing Savior of all people, Jew and Gentile. Now I keep talking about looking for Jesus. I do so because of 
that fact that we don't think of epiphany much today. We can fail to see God. We say to ourselves, is God at work? Where? Where? Things seem to be so bad and getting worse. We, we look around and we think, how, how can it be like this if God is really at work? We're, we're prone to complain about what's wrong rather than, rather than to remember God is at work. Where is God working? God's building his kingdom. What is his, does his kingdom consist of? He's not building earthly empires. He's not establishing us in, so we can sit on our pile of gold and say, well, now we know God is blessing us because look at all this material wealth we have. Why do I put it that way? Well, because we've, we've seen a great time of prosperity in this nation, but it seems to be coming to a close or at least to be threatened by poor leadership and covetousness and greed and all kinds of wickedness. And we wonder, where is God? Because we're thinking, well, if God were really present, this material uh, abundance would continue. This more than I need abundance would continue. Yet where is God working? Well, we look for him where lives are made new. His kingdom consists of those who are born again, made alive to see who God is, to understand what God would have us to do, and then to act on that. He's working where men turn from personal pursuits to kingdom vision, men and women. He's working where children increasingly obey their parents, where husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church, where wives submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. He's working where covetousness gives way to generosity. He's working where selfishness gives way to kindness and compassion. He's working where passion For gospel proclamation is greater than pursuit of personal glory or comfort. We may not be seeing large-scale revival in North America, but in certain lands all around the world, millions of people are coming to faith in Christ. In China, in India, the continent of Africa, in Nepal, Where does new life come? Where is new vision given? Where the word is set forth? Not in a sense of principles by which you can live to have your best life now. Not in a prayer that some Old Testament figure prayed and then was blessed richly, some formula that God will give you all the land and property you could ever possibly imagine, but to point you to the one who is the center of all life, Jesus Christ, the center of history. Where the word is preached, where Christ is preached, and where the word is lived out, we see God doing great things. 
where people are committed to their particular area where God has placed them to be in service to God by word and deed. You see, Jesus didn't didn't get beyond that small geographic area where he had his earthly ministry. He lived his entire life there. He focused his attention on 12 men in an intensive three-year ministry. And even then, one of those men betrayed him. Yet from this small work, God has been building his church throughout the world and throughout time as the gospel is proclaimed, as people live for the Lord each and every day. The gospel of Jesus Christ reconciles sworn enemies. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings contentment to the covetous heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ turns rebels into disciples. The gospel of Jesus Christ holds families together. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives courage for the weak to be strong. The gospel of Jesus Christ alone does these things. God alone does this, using the word to usher in his kingdom. It's not worldly governments, but faithful ministry, the ministry of the saints. God choosing to use us in all of our weakness, the gospel as we heard in the prayer this morning, in jars of clay, that we might not think of ourselves first, but point to God, from whom all surpassing power comes. If we look to heaven for strength, if we look to heaven for understanding of the future of the world. We don't become less interested in this world. As some say, you're so heavenly minded, you have no earthly good. All you do is talk about heaven and the future. Well, if we are looking there and we are seeing that there is coming a day when there is a reckoning for those who are in Christ to be saved, for those who are apart from him to end up in eternal hell, then we will be concerned now for what is happening here where God has placed us to speak to those people around us. We will want others to hear the good news of Jesus Christ so that they might be saved from condemnation. We do this because our Lord and Savior did this, and the love of Christ compels us. When Christ ascended into heaven, the disciples didn't become less committed to their neighbor but more. The book of Acts says, what, did they, what, did it, what does it say about them? It says that they turned the world upside down. Is that the type of church we want to be? Is this the type of Christian that we want to be? I'm not saying we have to go to the ends of the earth. I've already said in our particular place with those whom God has placed before us in our sphere of influence, are we those who want to turn the world upside down to say, no, this is what the world says is wise, but here is what God says is wisdom and he is truth. C.S. Lewis put it this way, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next, who understood what was coming and who understood that there is a reckoning and who understood that all needed to hear and be prepared to have that epiphany, to have that revelation of who Jesus is and how to be reconciled to the Holy God. 
Not how to get more money, how to influence more people, not how to get that other job or to wear those designer clothes. Where is God at work? Where his people are being transformed into gospelers? In their homes, in their schools, in their churches. The kingdom of God is coming and it's unconquerable. It starts small as a mustard seed, but it grows where God's people obey his word. It is seen there. God continues to work at times imperceptibly. Perhaps you think too slowly in your life, but truly, God works. God is with us. His people who are most keen to obey him, there God works most irresistibly and effectively. Do you see him at work now? Do you see him at work in you? Ask him to work in you. Ask him to speak to you through his word. When you come to worship, prepare and say, Lord, I want to hear from you that I might understand just how special, how important it is to be in worship with God's people. And not to think anything else is more important. Anything. Ask him to move you to action by his spirit. God is present when the young person says she wants to make profession of faith. God is present where the former blasphemer comes to faith. God is present in the testimony of the prisoner set free from sin to serve the Lord. God is present in the conversion of those from other religions. God is present in restored marriages. God is present where the person under discipline returns to the church. God is present in the testimony of the widow who speaks of the comfort she has in Christ. God is present in the little voice of the child who prays, Father, your will be done. God is present in the missions report of the explosive growth of the church in Nepal. These are epiphanies. God at work. God with us. And we come through the Christmas season. This time of year it can be dreary. It can be lonely. Decorations come down. The gatherings are over for another year. It can be kind of depressing. But it doesn't have to be so because God is at work. And we simply must pray, God, help me to have those aha moments, those epiphanies where I can see you and know that you are making all things new, including me. Look for God with us. Why does God show us all these things in his world? It's there at the end of John chapter 2. What does it say there in verse 11? This, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. So that... We might, what did the disciples do? Believe in him. And they believed in him. They were all in, as we're going to hear tonight, as Jacob is all in to serve and follow the Lord. They believed in him. They didn't have 
full understanding, but they lived up to what they had already attained. Are you doing that? Are you living up to what you've already attained and building on that? Or are you resting on what you got back in 5th, 6th, 7th grade, which most of which you've forgotten? His disciples believed in him. They followed him. John writes, These things I have written to you that you might believe and have life in Christ. Look and listen. Pray that you would see God at work around you. Pray that he would be at work in you. That he would reveal himself to you each day. That he would work in you and through you. And then go and tell someone, I've had an epiphany. God is at work. He's at work in me. And he can work in you. Tell them what that new life looks like. Proclaim it. And then you can truly say, Happy New Year. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as another year turns, a new year upon us, before you these days are not new years, but they are days in which newness might come forth as we pray for it, as we work as unto you, as we live before your face, then this truly will be a new year. We will be new, made new. Lord, help us to renew our commitment to step up and to follow more closely, to come and to hear the word, to hear your voice, to know that in the sound of your voice there is life. Apart from you, there is only distraction and temptation. Lord, may this be a truly fruitful year for this congregation for each one who makes up this congregation and as we work together to bring honor and glory to you, for from you and through you and to you are all things. Through Christ our Lord, receive our praise and the glory. Amen. Number 388, rejoice, rejoice, believers. Let your lights appear. The evening is advancing, darker night is near. This is a song speaking of the coming of the bridegroom. Are we ready? Are our lights uh, and our oil prepared uh, for his coming that we might not miss him? Are we shining that light with eager expectation Do we live our lives? Let's, let's think of that as we sing these four stanzas. Let's stand to sing number 388.
Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we become so apathetic towards things that are familiar to us, set right before us. We are blessed to have the word before us day after day. Lord, lead us to open that word and to take up and read and to pray for understanding. Lord, be gracious to us. Forgive us for our apathy and for our failings, for our shortcomings. Teach us. We pray that in our schools you would be at work, that there would be many aha moments where students see you and teachers see you. We pray for Crown Point Christian schools that as they teach, as they are being taught, the students and the teachers and the students, she would guide into, into the light. There would be a strong desire to look to Christ and to see in Him life, light, and everything. Receive our prayers along with our offerings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Please stand for God's parting blessing. Let me appeal to you as well to return this evening as God has much to teach us in the life of Jacob. Be an interesting consideration of Genesis 46 tonight. People of God, receive this parting blessing. Congregation of Lord Jesus Christ, in all of your trials, remember what you are and what you have. You've been loved with an everlasting love. You're supported by everlasting arms. You are recipients of everlasting life and heirs of an everlasting kingdom, all sealed and made sure by the blood of an everlasting covenant. Amen. Amen.